0: Please turn with me in Scripture to Luke chapter 11. We'll begin this morning in Luke chapter 11, verse 14. And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled. But some of them said, "He cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons." Others, testing him, sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, "Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand?" Because you say, I cast out demons by Beazelbub. And if I cast out demons by Beazelbub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him He takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none, he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. And it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. But he said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket. But on the lampstand, that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good... Your whole body is also full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light, as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, how desperately we need your help. We need all the time your help in order that we might know the truth of your word. But Lord, as this text particularly points out our tendency to suppress the truth or distort it in various ways, we are all the more conscious that we desperately require a need that you would lighten our eyes, that we would see the truth of your word and that we would understand it to our belief and to our everlasting blessing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We have been in Luke chapter 11 for some time now, and we have seen Jesus expose that bizarre and twisted reasoning of people who said that the only reason that he could get rid of demons is because he was in league with demons, demonic forces, and we have seen him point out the unreasonableness of those who demanded to see a sign from heaven, and the ingratitude of those who did not grasp the privilege they had of having the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, before them, to hear these things. And last time there was an implicit warning given, that those who had benefited from being in contact with Christ but had not actually believed in had not actually received the word from him that they were in a dangerous situation spiritually but today Jesus gives a very explicit warning and it can be summarized this way be careful how you see not so terribly long ago we had an Luke chapter 8, verse 16. No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. Therefore, take heed how you hear. And now, in the context of a, a very, very similar illustration, we have a similar warning about a different sense of the body. No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. Or as we'd summarize it, be careful how you see. Now, what is Jesus talking about? Think again of the situation that we've had here. In the, the great goodness and mercy of God, they have been given this great light. The Lord Jesus Christ was right there in front of them to do them great and eternal good. It was a singular privilege given to the people of that generation. And what were they going to do with it? If it were physical light... If they were in darkness and they needed to see and they they were conscious of that, if it was physical light, they would have surely put it up on a lampstand to do them good. They would have valued that light and they'd elevate it so it would do them the most good. And it would only be the foolish, the deranged that would try to hide away the light somewhere, that great gift of goodness. But of course, that is precisely what they were doing with the light of the world. That is what they were doing Now, the problem was not the light itself or the inherent value of that light, because it was perfect, utterly perfect and beautiful. The problem was what? Their eye. The problem was their eye. They say, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And there's a sense in which that's true, but it's not exactly true. Because it implies as if it's entirely subjective, our standards of beauty. That's not true at all. Just like with truth, which people of this wicked generation say is entirely subjective and pluralistic. Just like with truth, beauty itself has an objective standard that is established by God. And some things are beautiful and some things are not. And the reason why there's such variation in what people think is beautiful is not because beauty actually changes. It's because of their eye. Some people have a deficient eye and they call things beautiful that are not. To use a local example, just think of that Trinity car park we used to have here in Gateshead. There were those who actually campaigned to save it as if it were some beautiful object to be kept and treasured. Thankfully, they they didn't succeed. But the point is, they had a deficient eye, didn't they? Well, so it is with Christ. Because their eye is darkened, because the eye of those people of that generation, their eyes were darkened, they did not value the light of the world. They did not value it even as much as the Queen of Sheba valued Solomon. They didn't even value it as much as the people of Nineveh valued Jonah. No, actually they devalued it. They debased it. They sought to hide it from their eyes by saying, he's in league with Satan, or he, we need him to be authenticated. We don't really know if it's true. We need it more authenticated from some sign from heaven, some sign we haven't already seen yet. Something, we don't want to see this light. They didn't want it because their eye was evil. There was a problem with their eye. And because of that, not only their eye, but their whole being is completely in darkness. And so Jesus says to them, He gives them a warning be careful. How you see. Well, let us consider then this idea. Three things that are true about light. First is that light can be suppressed. Secondly, light can be distorted. Third, light can be embraced suppressed, distorted, or embraced. Be careful how you see. Well, first, light can be suppressed. It says in verse 33, no one when he has lit a lamp puts it in a secret place or under a basket. Now, when he says no one does that, he's not saying it's impossible. He's not say, it, it clearly is impossible to hide a lamp away in some enclosed place or underneath a container so that the light is completely closed off. He's only pointing out that oh, no one in their right mind would do that. No one who's acting normally and rationally would possibly want to hide the light. Again, we take light for granted, of course, in our time. We just turn it on or off. Not so taken for granted in, in that time or most others or even today. It's costly, it's useful, it's valuable. And no one who's acting rationally would want to hide the light that he obviously needs. And notice, by the way, it says when he has hid a light. It's not like someone who's trying to sleep and therefore needs to have a blackout blind or anything like that. He he needs the light, but as soon as he has the light, then he wants to hide it. That's that's crazy. Well, just like that, it is possible to suppress the truth. Is not a good idea. It's not something that rational people do, but it's all too possible. We have that in Romans chapter 1, don't we? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who what? Suppress the truth and unrighteousness. It's entirely possible to do that. What is Paul talking about? What does he mean specifically when he says suppressing the truth and unrighteousness? In verse 19 because what may be known of god is manifest in them for god has shown it to them there is the light there is the truth he's shown it for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and godhead so that they are without excuse they have the light they have the truth even those who have not actually heard the gospel that you're hearing this morning by a preacher from the word of God, they have it in creation itself. But what do they do with that light is question. What do they do? They suppress it. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The problem is not with the light. The problem is their eye. And they suppress it. Why would they want to do that? Why would they why would anyone want to suppress the truth? The answer is given to us in John chapter 3. John 3:19 3, This is the condemnation that light has come into the world, who's he talking about? himself. The light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Well, the reason, you see how there's this chain of, of, of true reason here. The reason why anyone would want to suppress the light is because they hate it. It's like someone who has photophobia because they have some disease and they can't stand the light. They sh- and when they're healthy, they like the light. But when they're diseased, the light comes and they, they can't stand it and they suppress it. And the reason why they hate the light is because their deeds are evil. And they do not want their deeds to be exposed. Maybe in theory they like the idea of maybe there should be a light. But as soon as it comes to them, all of a sudden their deeds are exposed and they then want to suppress it and turn it off. And so they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Now that, I think, is precisely what is happening here in Luke chapter 11. The light was there in all of its brilliance the light was there in all of its perfection the light was there in all of his glory but they were trying hard to suppress it right i i, I don't know if we can trust this guy I don't trust him he's in league with satan um i might possibly be willing to believe him but first i would need to see a sign from heaven you see what they're doing They are exactly trying to put that light under a bushel, under a container, in some sort of dark place, so they don't have to see it. Why? Because they love darkness rather than light. Light can be suppressed. And secondly, light can be distorted. Read in verse 34, the light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Now the idea again is, is so clear that the lamp of the, the body is the eye, meaning that those who are not blind see where they're going. They're using their eyes, and it's the guide for the rest of their body. They don't run into things because their eye is a guide. But when your eye is good, well that's there's a little bit more involved in that idea. Because the word good here conveys a basic idea, true, true enough, of what's being said in the text. But more literally, it is single. The same word we have in Second Corinthians 11.3. I fear lest somehow the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Very same word, simplicity. And the word is pertaining to being healthy. The implication of sound, proper functioning. So it's sound, simple, honest, upright, clear. It's not obscured. It's not perverted. It's not corrupted. Reality, the outside reality, the way things really are being conveyed to you intact. And thankfully, that's the case for most people in physical terms. And most people we can see. But the minority who have diseased eyes will be conscious of a very significant disability. The world out there is being distorted. Well, the same is true in spiritual terms. But the proportions are opposite. Most of us can see rightly. Some of us cannot. Some of us have distorted vision and some of us have blindness. Spiritually, though, Most people's eyes are not good. Their eyes are bad, meaning that it distorts what we see when it comes to God. Let's think again of that Romans chapter 1. We mentioned how people sometimes suppress the truth, but it's also true that they distort it. As it goes on in Romans 1, verse 20, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they're without excuse. They know about God. But, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and what? Changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. So first they suppress it, now they change it. They distort it. It's not that the glory of God was in fact changed, that they somehow succeeded in changing the glory of God. Paul makes the point of saying it's incorruptible, that it's impossible to do that. It was that they distorted what they saw. They made the most beautiful, most lovely object in the universe, the Son of God, into something grotesque, something repulsive. They make the good news into bad news. I've heard people do that i heard people say, your God is a monster. And they hear the truth of the reality of the gospel. How sad. How does this happen? Why does this happen? Well, you know, in common terms, we have, there's something called beer goggles. Describes the distortion and the lack of judgment that happens in drunkenness. I think that we can say that there's something called sin goggles, that we all, to some extent or another, are wearing all the time, whether we know it or not. It's so, in that sense, and it's not a, an idea of people rejecting the faith because they've evaluated it objectively and they found it wanting. No, it's not that. And they'll, they'll try to say that because they want to appear reasonable. The problem is not their reason so much as their taste and their perception. They have no taste for the truth. Their perception is off because of their defective eye. They are distorting the truth. And that is so much the human problem. This distortion of what they see because they don't like it. That is so much the human problem. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness in light and light for darkness who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter woe to them woe to them because their condition is terrible that's why we have this warning a warning from the most loving man who has ever lived therefore take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness he didn't he didn't say that flippantly didn't come to destroy them and remember that. He came to save them and he is warning them with with his, in all sincerity, in all love and, and, and desire for blessedness of these people. He says, take heed. Be careful. They have been rendering verdicts on the Lord Jesus as if they could confidently trust their judgment, their light. But their light was darkness and their perception was leading them astray. It was going to lead them straight to hell. And they needed to be warned off a situation that was so terribly dangerous. Take heed. The truth can be suppressed. The light can be suppressed. The light can be distorted. But thankfully, there is another option. Thirdly, light can be embraced. Verse 36, if then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. That's the good news. That is the wonderful thing that it can be embraced. As much as light can be and is often suppressed and distorted, there is another possibility that it can guide you, that it can be embraced and it become part of you. That's what we've said so many times, by the way, that this light you see through Jesus, that is what transforms us. We become like the light that we see. And it it guides us and enlightens us, and we become more and more like it, then the light fills us. That's the good news. Now, light comes to us in the form of a person. It's not physical, of course. What did it say in Matthew 4.16? The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. A great light upon those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his advent into the world. He's come as a light in a very dark place. And that's why the angels rejoiced. And that's why they, the shepherds witnessed these things. And that is why we worship. That is why we sing that this great light has come into the world. The Lord Jesus Christ John eight twelve and Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. This is very good news. It is a shame to us if we do not sufficiently grasp the great privilege that we have in hearing the word of God and living in a time of, of where Jesus has come and has brought light into this dark world. We can and we should embrace this light. Because that's what that whole, the warning, be careful how you, you see the whole point of it is that we, we value and we embrace this light. We should do that. You know, even John, we mentioned in another gospel in John 8, he says, I'm the light of the world. Well, he goes on in John 12 to say, a little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. Same idea, right? While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Isn't that a beautiful idea? The idea of becoming a son of light. Don't you want to become a son or daughter of light? Don't you want that to to describe you? Not one who hates the light, not one who suppresses the light, not one who distorts the light, but one who is a son of the light who lives in it and embraces it and is guided by this light and brings light to others, actually. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Do you know what's really sad about that text in John chapter 12? What's the next thing that's said? It says, These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. After giving them that wonderful news, along with a warning, Jesus departed and was hidden from them. Because that's the thing. Just like it was back in Luke 8, be careful how you hear. And that came along with a warning that sometimes those who do not value what they hear, those things are taken away from them. So it is with the light. And those who do not value the light, it might well be taken from you. But it need not be. The word for us is that we should embrace this light. So take heed. Be careful. This is crucially important that you you take heed how you see. And my applications are very simple. I would say, first of all, do not trust your own inclinations. Don't trust your own inclinations. Uh, Just a simple illustration to say this. Has your first impression of something always been correct? The first impression that you've made of a person or of a thing or of a situation, has it always, in every case, proved to be correct? Or has it ever stirred you wrong? Well, however fallible our judgment or vision might be seen in those kind of things, and I think that we've been deceived even in the simplest of things sometimes, I want to say that we have even less reason to trust our natural judgment in spiritual things. right? Because at least in terms of natural and ordinary things, even in people, we can gain experience because we can be proven right or wrong in the course of our life. We put our trust in some object that doesn't, doesn't bear our weight and we fall on the ground and we stop doing that. We put our trust into some person whom we should have realized that there were clues that this person wasn't quite right. And they do us wrong and we learn our lesson, or at least we try to. And given enough time instances of getting it right or getting it wrong over time, we eventually form a better sense of judgment. Even then it's not perfect, but it's at least better. But how many times do we get to really verify for absolute certain with regard to God? Not many, right? We don't have, this is not Hinduism, that we have thousands of lives to get it right or get it wrong and eventually to sort of work our way to a better situation. We have no great experience in these things. And worse than that, we know that the world and the flesh and the devil are all conspiring against us, making the right decision. Satan is actively seeking to deceive us. And he's pretty good at it. We spoke of that before, didn't we? He's so good at it. Unfallen Eve, he speaks a word of deception to her and and he succeeds. If he he could could succeed with Eve in the Garden of Eden, who'd never seen anyone sin, who'd had no inclination towards evil, how much more does he succeed with us? So brothers and sisters, what am I saying? Beloved, don't trust your own inclinations in these ways. You know, and to those who don't yet believe in this, still in the same idea of don't trust your inclination, I would say, what is your response to the gospel? When I explain to you the human problem, and I say that we're in darkness, and I say that we're in sin, and that we stand condemned before a holy God, what's your response? Probably not a good one. When I explain to you the solution that God has provided in the blood atonement of the cross and laying down his life, bearing the wrath of God for our sins, what's your response to that? When I explain that all this means that our good works, the things that we do, the things by which we thought we would have merit before God, are categorically excluded, they're as filthy rags in his sight, nothing in the sight of the living God. Does, do you bristle at that? Do you, do you rebel? Do you feel a well of, of distaste coming to you? When I, re- when I say that this gospel, this gift of everlasting life is given as a gift, as pure, cheer, charity, and it's received merely by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ through this message that I preach, what is your response to that? Well, naturally, I think. I don't know what my response to that was. It didn't sound like a good idea. It didn't sound like a good deal, although it was the best deal in the world. Objectively speaking, in the clear light of day, nothing better, no better news could possibly be conceived. But in our dark eyes, it, is, it seems either dis- repulsive to us or else despicable and beneath us. But you know, many can testify to a change, to a God-given change in their perception. Thankfully, we can testify like Paul could in Acts chapter nine. Journeyed, came near to Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. A light, a light, and he fell to the ground. And a voice saying to him, "Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" He was persecuting the church, but Jesus says, "Why are you persecuting me?" And Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. They led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and there he was three days without sight. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as he came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and arose and was baptized. That's a wonderful thing that our natural inclinations can thankfully be overturned in the power of God that we might see him as he truly is. The scales fall from our eyes. And so secondly, we should, in fact, entrust ourselves to Jesus. Don't trust your inclinations, but do entrust yourself to Jesus. You know, 1 John 1, 4, These things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That's good news, isn't it? I've given you so much bad news about the human condition, the darkness and the depravity. And the distortion and the suppression of the truth that is a natural condition of us all. Now what's the good news? God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. What else is the good news? John 1, nine. This is the true light which gives light to everyone coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through Him. And the world did not know Him. He came to His own. His own did not receive Him. But... The good news. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. We should certainly entrust ourselves to that source of light, the one who was the light who came into this world, the light of the world. Entrust yourself to him. Thirdly, we should entrust ourselves to his word. And what I'm saying here, entrust yourself to his word is that there are are those, and I count myself in this group, who most certainly have entrusted themselves to Christ in a general sense, but somehow there seems to be this old problem creeping back in of our wanting to suppress or distort the light when it comes to the way that we live our lives, for instance. We sometimes say, I know that the word says that X is a sin. Theoretically, It's a sin. Most cases, for most people, it's a sin. But I'm a mature, sophisticated Christian, and I can move beyond such simplistic ideas. And so we say it's okay. We hide, we suppress, we distort the light enough that it does not blind us as we're trying to do such and such a thing. And we fall again into sin. I would say we need to beware of that self-satisfied smile. I don't know if you've ever caught yourself in the mirror with such a, a look on your face. It's not a humble look. It's a look that says, I might just be pushing the boundaries today with the word of God. I might just know what is true, but decide to do what is wrong. I might just decide to distort or suppress the truth that I know well enough. We should beware of that look. We should not, and we cannot trust ourselves to do what is right apart from following the pure word of God that is found in this book. It's perfect. It's pure. We need to entrust ourselves to it. Ethically, in terms of what we do, our morals, but doctrinally as well. You know, there must... Be a, a complete and a simple and implicit trust in the Word of God, this truth that the Orthodox Church has always confessed. And beware again of that prideful, self satisfied look that says, I want to push the envelope doctrinally, not only in yourself, but in others. We should not, we cannot trust ourselves to know what is true apart from this living and errant Word of God found in this book we say with the most simple Christian that has ever lived, God said it, I believe it, and that is good enough for me. And we never ever move beyond that. There is never some place to get to that says, well, now we can have something more complex. Now we can have something more sophisticated that sounds a little bit more appealing to the world. God loves us too much to give us something sophisticated. He speaks to us as our beloved Father. He loves us and he gives us his word in plain and clear terms. And we who are his children must remain his children. And we must receive the light that is given to us in all of its purity and perfection. Not distorting it, not suppressing it, but embracing it. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, how we love you. We do not love you enough, but how we love you, and that light that has come to us. As Lord, we scarce need to be told that we live in a time and a place of great darkness. This darkness is everywhere. And we find it even in our own hearts. But Lord, your light is beautiful. You have made it beautiful to us and how we pray that your Holy Spirit would make it appear as it really is, beautiful to all those who see it, to all those who hear this word and have come in contact then with the light of the world. (coughs) Heavenly Father, how we pray that we would embrace this light. We pray that we would not seek to turn away from it in any part that it says about the way that we live our lives, about the way that the things that we believe, There be no darkness in us at all, but complete light. That this light might reign and that we might be truly sons of the light. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.